everybody, and welcome to a special weekend edition of The Edge. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and I apologize for the tardiness in this week's release of the show. This is the first time in The Edge's history, you know, the long, illustrious six-episode-long history, that The Edge didn't get released on Friday, but it's actually being recorded on Friday night. This has been one of those crammed full weeks in the Logan house. Yesterday, I spent the day helping some of our friends at Greater Love Community Church move into a new home. And I do want to give a quick shout out to Dan and Kathleen who are enjoying their brand new home this weekend. It's brand new to them, and I'm sure they're enjoying all the spoils of unpacking. So I wish you guys the best. But next week, The Edge will return to its usual midnight release on Friday. Now, for the last couple of weeks, we have been in Ephesians chapter 2, and we've been discussing the depravity of humankind without Jesus and the glorious position that we're in once Jesus takes a hold of our lives. Today, we're going to attempt to finish chapter 2, so let's get started by reading verses 11 through 22, and then we'll go back and dissect it all. Verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, done by hand in the flesh. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise with no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he did away with the law of the commandments and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. Verse 22 in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Woo! So Paul has already just laid out our depravity and God's grace in the first half of the chapter. We talked about this a few weeks ago at the end of chapter 1 and last week, that God intends to make the church, the body of Christ, a display of his trophies to the rest of creation as a showcase of his immeasurable riches of mercy and kindness. He's going to hold up the church and say to heaven and hell, this is the glory of my son, his bride, his body, his church. Now, Paul continues by saying in verse 11, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, done by hand in the flesh. Paul starts diving into some very heated subject matter 
of that time. It was a huge controversy. There was now a great shakeup happening in the Jewish culture because there was a dispensational change happening. And I don't necessarily want to spend this episode getting into the debate between the theological systems of dispensationalism and covenant theology and new covenant theology. That's for another time when I've actually figured out exactly where I myself fall on that issue. Right now, let's just focus on the fact that Paul is saying that certain practices that once existed no longer hold spiritual significance. You see, this dispensational change abolished a fundamental difference between the Jew and Gentile. Ever since the time of Abraham, the practice of circumcision had stood as a sign of the unique relationship that existed between God and Israel. The Jews were very proud of this covenantal sign and would with great contempt flaunt it in the face of non-Jews. They made sure to refer to them as the uncircumcised. Oh, it's those people, the uncircumcised. And at this point in the early church, many Jews looked at the church as just an extension of Israel, and they had expectations of the Gentiles to adopt the same practice of circumcision for themselves as a part of the process of coming into the good of the covenant. And the Gentiles said, "Uh uh-uh, put that knife away. So this was a hot subject. You can tell because of how much it's discussed throughout the New Testament. But Paul says here that both circumcision and uncircumcision don't really hold any spiritual significance anymore. When Paul says circumcision is done by hand in the flesh, he's basically calling it obsolete. The seal of those in the church isn't circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart. We read this back in chapter 1 a few weeks ago when Paul said in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in him, when you believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, back in chapter 2, verse 12. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, with no hope and without God in the world. So now Paul rehashes a little of what the natural state of the Gentile was before Jesus. Before this dispensational change, if a Gentile wanted to partake in the spiritual blessings and covenantal benefits of Israel, they had to become a Jewish convert. Gentiles were born naturally as aliens and had no connection with the promises that God made to Abraham. Gentiles existed outside of the citizenship of Israel. Now, some Bible translations, instead of citizenship, use the word commonwealth, but the Greek word was politeia, which meant the body politic. Gentiles had no hope, and many of them would look longingly at Jewish religion, but while they were attracted to the covenant, Many times they were quite offended by Jewish hypocrisy. 
So you can imagine why flocks of Gentiles ran to the message of the gospel, because no longer were they excluded from a covenant with God, and it wouldn't require them to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel, because now they had, as we like to say, a direct line to God for themselves. Because we read in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. Gentiles have been brought near through the blood of Christ. In the ultimate expression of man's hatred for God, Jesus was crucified on the cross and God made that cross the means of his grace. The dividing line between man and God and Jew and Gentile had been erased. Unity had been created within God's kingdom of redeemed people and all of those people with his son, Jesus. Now, speaking of unity, look at verses 14 through 18. 14 says, For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he did away with the law of the commandments and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. <clears throat> First, Paul used words very carefully in verse 14. Paul talked about a dividing wall of hostility, and there really was a physical wall. In the temple at Jerusalem, there was a stone palisade about four and a half feet high that warned Gentiles with pain of death not to go any further. They could enter the court of Gentiles, but that was as far as they could go. And they took this seriously. Paul himself was almost put to death at the hands of a Jerusalem mob over a rumor that started going around that he took some Gentiles beyond that wall. So in this verse, Paul used that wall as a picture of a division in the old world between Jew and Gentile and said that Jesus had broken that wall down so that we may all be one body in him. In, six, in verse 16, he said, He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. In the intended working body of Christ, Jesus sees everyone as the same. There are no divisions based on ethnicity, religious backgrounds, social class, where you live in the world, your political affiliation, or what color you are. All believers are equal members of the body. We may have lost sight of that along the way, but Jesus hasn't. In verses 17 and 18, it says, When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. 
Something that we need to understand as well about this, Jews and Gentiles were at war with each other, but they both were and in a natural state still are at war with God. No matter what side someone fell and still falls on, there isn't anyone who is the recipient of a covenant with God outside of Jesus. I was saying earlier that there are still aspects of dispensational theology and new covenant theology that I'm working out for myself with the Lord's leading. If you don't know what those are, you can Google them. But I do think, as of this podcast anyway, that there are things in the Old Testament between God and Israel that are to stay between God and Israel. But that doesn't include a separate covenant outside of Jesus. Jew or Gentile have both sinned and are in need of a Savior. There is only one covenant. There's only one Savior, one Spirit, and one cross. Romans chapter 3, 21 to 24 says this, But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verses 19 through 20, back in chapter 2. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. If you live in the United States and you are a legal alien from another country, I almost said another planet, you have the usual rights to work a job, raise a family, travel around, but there are still limitations for you in voting and having say in the government. Though you are given the privilege to live here, there are certain rules that you have to abide by that will constantly remind you that you are a stranger and an alien in this country. The word for fellow citizens in verse 19 is a Greek word called sumpoletis, which means a member of a city or state. It conveys the idea of full union or possession of the same citizenship. So now Jews and Gentiles are a part of the same society, according to Paul. Paul compares the church to a building that's built on a foundation that consists of Jesus and his apostles. Verse 21, the whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. A building starts as a plan or a blueprint that grows as parts of the building are added to it. That's the kind of growth that Paul is talking about. Certainly, it's very important for the church to grow in knowledge and grace, but Paul says that it should be steadily growing in numbers too. That doesn't mean that we're all supposed to have super mega churches. I don't necessarily think that there is one particular numbers-based measuring stick to gauge whether your church is healthy, but the body of Christ should be adding to itself through the power of Jesus. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. 
God does not dwell in any church building, but rather in the hearts of his people. The believer is the habitat for God's spirit. The spirit that is the invisible bond that unites all believers, Jews, Gentiles, Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists, Lutherans, Calvinists, Arminians, vineyards and Calvary chapels, etc., etc. Those self-identifying name tags are torn off in the presence of Jesus because the only label that matters for all of us in the eternal scope is the redeemed. I know there are all various belief systems within the body of Christ, but let's make it our end goal to motivate each other in the love and the grace that Jesus first lavished on us. Well, that's going to do it for chapter two in this week's episode of The Edge. If you like what you hear, then check out our official website, theedgepodcast.com. All of our social links are at the top right corner of the page. And there's an option if you do want to financially support the ministry through PayPal. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at EdgePodcast1. Next week, we'll be back on our normal schedule, still coming out on Friday and within the immediate midnight release. And we'll be getting into chapter three of Ephesians. But that's it for this week, guys. You've been listening to The Edge with Scott Logan. We'll talk more next week. But in the meantime, remember, live on the edge.